This event was recorded live at the 2012 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Thank you very much for uh, coming out tonight to the Edinburgh International Book Festival in the lovely weather that we're having. My name's Stephen Gordon. Some of you who are close observers of the footnotes might uh, realise that I am indeed the director of Camperdown Zoo, which has been a real boost to my CV in the last year or so. It also came as a bit of a surprise, and that's all thanks to the man sitting next to me, Neil Forsyth. Now, we'll get started in a minute, but before we do, I'll just run through the format for this evening, because it's maybe a little bit different to, to what you're used to. First of all, after the event, there'll be a book signing in the tent, next door, which Neil made me uh, focus on, so, so I've done that, so <laughs> job done, Neil. Um, secondly, there will, be, there will be a performance towards the, the, the end of the, the, uh, the event, which I'm really looking forward to. Before then, there'll be a Q&A between Neil and myself. Neil will give a couple of readings, and there'll also be the chance for you to, to ask questions, maybe in 15, 20 minutes or so, so please be thinking, and you can take the pressure off the chair, which would be great. But first of all, I'll hand you over to Neil Forsyth. Thank you, Thank you very much, and thanks for coming out, as Stevie said, on such a lovely evening. Um, I'm going to start with a reading from the introduction of Why Me, uh, which I think sets up both Bob Servant and the book itself. And as Stevie said, later this evening there's going to be a performance uh, from three fantastic actors bringing to life the emails a lot better than I can do myself. My reading's purely going to be from the introduction because... Um, if I was to try and do a reading from the spam emails, I would be impersonating either uh, an African man or a Russian woman, both of which are uh, fraught with danger. So. <laughs> Two bewildering decades have passed since I first met Bob Godzilla Servant. Over that time, I've encountered him as a window cleaner, a revolutionary cheeseburger van operator, and in the last few years, an author of books which I have been given the task of editing. This is his third book, and as when I worked with him and the others, a part of me hopes it will be his last. <laughs> My suffering began with Bob's standard approach to me in these matters, a phone call bristling with hubris and mild aggression. He had been back on the emails, and the results speak for themselves. I was instructed to return with immediate effect to our shared hometown of Dundee, Scotland's sunniest city, <laughs> that sits in honest contemplation on the River Tay. However, it's in Brotty Ferry that Bob feels truly at home, and to see him marching through those streets is quite an experience. The sight of Bob wrestling with an uncooperative traffic warden who was on the verge of tears throughout remains disappointingly fresh in my mind. <laughs> Finally, we retreated to Bob's favoured Stewpot's bar where he told me about the book. I asked hesitantly if a sequel of further emails was in any way a cash-in. World War II was a sequel, said Bob gravely. <laughs> was that a cash-in? Was beating the Nazis a cash-in? 
When Bob's in this kind of form, and I'm not sure if I've ever seen him in another, there's little to be gained by debate. Instead, I visited his ludicrous home the following evening and gathered the emails he had exchanged with spammers around the world. Bob led me to his living room, where he'd been relaxing with an indeterminate alcoholic cocktail, and an episode of the You've Been Framed television show, which I noticed with alarm was not being transmitted live, but was playing from VHS video. <laughs> now, this clip's top three, said Bob sincerely, while we watched a man fall into a bin at a family barbecue. Not of all time, added Bob, just of that series. <laughs> I gave Bob the book's proof and mentioned the acknowledgments section. He said the only person he wanted to thank in acknowledgments was his best friend, Frank. He's my Ginger Roger, said Bob. Ginger Rogers, I corrected. No, said Bob, Ginger Roger, and clarified he was talking about a red-haired man from Lochie. <laughs> I stood shook Bob's hand and left him giggling quietly to himself, the mysterious cocktail close by, and you've been framed flickering before him. In retrospect, I've never seen him so happy. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks very much, Neil. So, Bob was here this time last year. It's uh -huh. been a, a busy year for him. Very much so, yeah. It's been... Um, so uh, some of you may know Bob obviously started with the books. We've done three Bob Servant books. We did the radio series that went out in Radio Scotland, followed by Radio 4. Um, and then we started a television adaptation this year, which we're, we're halfway through. Um, Bob Servant Independent is the name of the, the programme. And the premise is that there's a by-election in Brotty Ferry. Bob decides to stand as an independent. He's got absolutely no idea why. But he said, well, there's going to be a bit of attention on the ferry. It's going to be on me. Frank's his campaign manager. He's got even less of an idea why he's involved. And uh, things progress from there. Shall we get the, the Coxie question out the way? Uh -huh. What does Bob feel about Brian Cox playing him? He's disappointed. <laughs> he, uh, very disappointed. He doesn't understand how he didn't get the role himself. He said he's got better eyes and uh, a by far better walk, which I think uh, is very significant. But Coxie's doing his best. He's... Uh, punching hit further above his weight, but he's, uh, he's doing okay. I mean, on a more serious note, what has it meant to have Brian Cox involved in the project? Um, yeah, it's been fantastic. I mean, he kind of, we, I mean, he did the radio to start with, obviously, and he kind of, uh, we, when, we, when we started developing it for radio and TV, uh, I, I was doing it with the BBC Scotland, and um, Owen Bell, who's the producer, has kind of worked for, with me for years on it. He said, you know, ideally, who would, who would you want to get? I said, well, Brian Cox, obviously. And... Um, and it was a bit of a pipe dream, but we managed to get him for the radio through various nefarious means. And uh, he was just very, he was very kind of keen to, to do more. I mean, he, I think the radio was a big surprise for him. He basically agreed to do it because it was from, it was a Dundee character. And um, he was back in Scotland anyway, and he could do it in an afternoon. And he, we, get, we, got all this, uh, we got all this feedback from his, um, his agent saying, oh, Brian's seen the scripts and he, he loves them, loves the scripts. And he really, really does. They're, they're, he says they're very, very funny. So he turned up and it was the night before he'd done, I don't know if any of you saw when he was on Newsnight a couple of years ago and he had a big bust up with David Starkey. And um, so he turned up the next morning in Glasgow and he'd had a bust up with Starkey, gone for, I think, what was probably quite a long dinner with, with Dumbleby. And he turned up in Glasgow a bit tired and he started reading the script and he, and he said, he said, this is, so this is, Bob Seven, that's, that's me, isn't it? And he says that, this is really funny, you know, and he, and he thought he was giving us a huge compliment, and obviously we're just thinking, he's not read the fucking scripts, and we're about, 
we're about to start recording two minutes later, so you kind of... Uh, but obviously, the talent that the man has, he, uh, that was uh, very much papered over in the performance, and he, um, he worked off the script, and he was very... He was just... Yeah, he was brilliant. And after that, it was a case of just trying to... He was, he was very supportive in getting it on TV, but then obviously, timing-wise, it was been a bit difficult. But. How have you found it, adapting it to TV, writing for TV, as opposed to the, the emails? Uh, kind of with great difficulty, really. It's been a it's been a long process um, working with with uh, Owen Bell, the BBC, who's also the editor, and it's I mean it's taken us years really to kind of find the premise. Took a while, and we we, we dallied for a long time with a mockumentary, um, which was it was the right decision to to move away from, but it was a bit bit kind of a, a bit of a painful one at the time because we'd kind of gone down that road quite far, and then and just finding the way it worked, and for me writing it, um, obviously. I'd never written a, a script before, so really just trying to find the, the balance and find. And I started off thinking that a huge amount from the books would go straight in and it'd be very easy, but actually almost nothing moves over from the books, really. It's just the character. And so really, Bob and Frank have survived intact. Not a huge amount else, and certainly not in a kind of storyline-wise or anything. Looking at the, the Why Me book, Bob seems to have got a bit more adventurous, a bit more mischievous in his exchanges yeah. with the, the spammers than he did in the first book. What were, what were you thinking there? What was he thinking there more at the point? Well, I think that he uh, just didn't want to do exactly the same book again, so it was kind of the emails. First of all, I was trying to find different forms of spam, which was actually quite difficult, but then you know, managed to find more interesting that people wouldn't immediately recognise. The first book was all kind of African princes and Russian brides, and so I didn't want to do any of that again. And then I suppose just wanting to write something a bit different, so Bob was a bit more aggressive, maybe a little bit darker, and um, yeah. And kind of, but I think after I think yeah, I certainly exhausted it now. Yeah, I mean, an interest in poetry and things like that. The one poetry and creative writing, giving Bob yeah, letting Bob try and try his hands at various things equally badly. Um, but no, and certainly lots of the kind of local paper stuff and then. How easy have you found it to, to create that world of, of Bob Servant? Because it's obviously not just Bob, as, as we'll, you know, we'll see in the yeah. TV series. How, how much fun have you had doing that? It's been fantastic. I mean, what, the real delight in the, the TV has been uh, the Bob and Frank relationship, which in the book's a bit different. In the book, Bob just, just destroys Frank at every opportunity he gets, and Frank's a real whipping boy. Um, and that's a kind of, it's a kind of one-dimensional relationship that works okay in that format. But in the, in the TV, they've got a much richer relationship and a um, huge amount of fondness between them and uh, Jonathan Watson who's, who's going to be reading as Bob tonight he plays Frank and him and Brian together are just just fantastic and there's a real you get you really do get the feeling these guys have been through kind of 50 years together and Frank has been you know told what to do by Bob for 50 years and kind of just looks like the weight of the world on his shoulders and it's so that relationship's become the whole plank of the of, of the TV certainly and plank good plank yeah, yeah. I, I, moving on from that, I mean, I suppose you went from the emails to the to the autobiography. Yeah. How much fun was that to be able to create that world? Because you had you were limited, I suppose, in the first book by by the email exchanges. The second one, we, yeah. we can create this entire world. And yeah, no, that was that was that was great fun. It was kind of um, I think we'd started with the, the development by that stage, so it was I was going to do another book anyway, and it, so I thought it would work as a book, but also it was very very useful for me to just flesh out. Bob's world, really, and so there is times with the kind of TV when I have to just check something and kind of look back. And um, so, no writing is writing the autobiography was was fantastic, and it, the premise of it I really enjoyed. Where it's called the Hero of Dundee, and the book's just a list of reasons why he's not the Hero of Dundee in a very aggrieved sense. And uh, 
And when you start with a premise like that, and so every chapter starts with another bit of annoyance and agreement, again, it's like with the books, it's an easy kind of framework to, to write within. Yeah, another part of the framework is, are, are, are the footnotes, which, yeah. of course, I have to thank for the, the camper-down yeah. zoo owner and uh, no problem. actually the, a, a, a manager of a lap dancing but, yeah. Yeah, which was But that, that's wife, true, my, but that's my, true my, Stevie. I'm that, sure my wife was that, too pleased yeah. with that one. But uh, anyway, the, uh, it gives you great freedom, and, and the, the Dundee Courier must be uh, delighted as well. Yeah, Dundee Courier, bewildered... Uh, <laughs> And excited, I think. Is, uh, well, they, they lost the dandy, so I think they need to go for any, any coverage they can get. Yeah, Bob, do you think Bob would have any advice for Desperate Dan? It's been a tough couple of days for him. Just hang up the boots, I think. He's had a good innings. Move over. <laughs> you know, give Bob a bit more space. I mean, the Desperate Dan statue that's in Dundee City Centre, which people think is invented in the books, exists and has been dominating the national news over the last few days, which I think is fantastic. But I think that... That statue has to be on a shugly peg now, and uh, <laughs> I think if the plinth is available, then uh, Bob would be straight in. So, Twenty years' time, we could be looking at Bob. Bob with Frank and a lead, yeah. I think. <laughs> How much fun from a, from a, the author's point of view are the footnotes? I mean, because it, it yeah. does allow you to go in a, a different direction. Yeah, the footnotes are really good, and especially when you're writing a book as um, on paper as a ghostwriter. I stole the footnotes idea in totality from the Flashman books, um, which. Uh, I don't know if any of you know, George MacDonald Fraser pretends to have found this big folder of notes of Flashman, this war hero from the kind of late 19th century, and he uses this footnotes idea, which I've stolen. Yeah. I mean, that's as simple as that, really. There's no comic interlude, but yeah. Another thing I seem to remember was the, was the letter to the Scottish Football Association. So, I mean, yeah. had things turned out differently... Bob could have been just down the road managing the football managing, team. Yeah, I wrote to the... I, I applied. There was a time a couple of years ago when the, the Scottish, English and Irish FAs were all without managers, and I applied for all the jobs as Bob within a week uh, and didn't get a single reply, which was disappointing. I can't really remember. I think the, the Irish one revolved around Frank standing on a chair and singing Danny Boy in the changing of... Uh, but no, we didn't... No reply. Shall we remind ourselves of, of Bob's lovely way with prose? I think you've got another reading for us here. Well, yeah, I was going to do just quickly. I don't want to do anything specifically in Bob's voice, but this is a bit like the Flashman things. When I was, when I was searching through Bob's papers, um, I found a snippet of uh, some creative writing he'd done, and this was from the 60s when Ludi Chatterley's Lover came out, and um, Bob... Bob got obsessed by this saucy novel, and uh, he liked everything about it, everything about it. He liked the infamy, but more than anything, he was convinced that he could do better. He gave up after a page. He got d distracted, but uh, he, um, he, he gave it a good shot. So this is the one and only surviving page, rescued from a chest in an attic in Brotty Ferry. Bob Servant's Lord... Dundee's lover. <laughs> oh, it's yourself, <laughs> said Lord Dundee as he opened the door. Lord Dundee was a handsome bastard of a man, great big muscles and nice hair, and a good smile and teeth and big muscles. He opened the door and in walked a very nice woman indeed. <laughs> Hello, Lord Dundee, 
my name is Victoria Magnolia, said the woman. She was a fantastic woman in both looks and figure. She had lovely long blonde hair like the sun, and nice eyes, and there was nothing at all wrong with her face. <laughs> and also her legs. And you can see down her top, but not in a bad way. And there was nothing wrong with the bit you could see. Well, 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 Victoria Magnolia, said Lord Dundee, laughing in a way that showed he was not under any pressure whatsoever. Well, well, well. Oh, Lord Dundee, said Lady Magnolia, who was also a lady, I should have said that, but not because she was married to Lord Dundee, because she wasn't. His wife had died in the war, and her husband was just a wee guy. And anyway, he didn't have any legs because of the war. But he was wee anyway, even despite the leg situation. And he was hardly a patch on Lord Dundee, who had long legs, but in proportion. Well, 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 said Lord Dundee. And behind him was all the heads of the deers and the wolves that he'd killed when he was hunting up in the highlands around Inverness and also in other parts of the highlands. You're a sight for sore eyes, Victoria Magnolia. I'll tell you that for free. Victoria Magnolia was a sight for sore eyes, all right. She was bloody gorgeous. And she didn't take herself seriously. But that's not to say she was always telling jokes. <coughs> she laughed at Lord Dundee, not making fun of him, but in admiration. And she put her hand over her mouth as if to say, whoops. Well... Well, well, said Lord Dundee. And he said, are you looking for this? And he took off his gloves and he hung them on the head of one of the deers he had shot. And then he was ready. And Victoria Magnolia thought, oh, sweet Jesus. And then there was a cliffhanger. And that's it. That's it. I think this is probably quite a good point to, to open up to the floor for questions. Now, microphone restrictions mean that I have to move over here to this lectern <laughs> so that we can use this microphone for questions. So please, if anyone's got a question, just put your hands up. And in the meantime, I'll carry on from here. So looks like I'm carrying on. <laughs> Neil, just uh, that's a... Is that very a, casual yeah, post, I quite like it. I like it. Um, is there a particular favourite exchange that, you, that you've got? Um, uh, the, the, you know, the first ever exchange in the Bob Servant books with the lions, with the uh, <laughs> statues of the lions, that was um, entirely accurate. I mean, the emails are all based on real emails, but there is some where edited for various reasons. Um, but that um, lions one, and I don't know if any of you don't know, it's um, Bob writes to an African guy, uh, writes to Bob. And um, long story short, Bob ends up offering to buy animals from him. Offers, says Frank's got a private zoo, and can he buy some lions? And the guy says that he's got four lions. There's a bit of confusion, and he sends him photos of four statues of a lion. And there's just a lot of kind of mysterious stuff with this, and that kind of turns the whole exchange. And 
that was a genuine mistake between me and the spammer. And the spammer did send me photos of four statues of a lion. And when you get something like that, or in the first, or in the exchange in the new book, there's one where a guy says he works in an office, and I send him a photo of a guy saying, well, here's someone working in an office. Can you send me a similar photo of you behind your desk? And the guy the photo I send has got a beard, and he sends back the same photo, and he's photoshopped out the beard. <laughs> and, um, and that happened as well. And when you get something like that, I just cannot believe my luck. Uh, and also, by the secondary point, you th you're almost insulted. You think, does he really think? But I think a lot of the time they think that Bob's um, mentally ill. And uh, they don't necessarily see that as a negative, I think. Because they think if they just hang in there, he'll almost, through osmosis or by accident, send them some money. Is there anything you can say to, to put them off? I, I don't think so. I, th I think it gets to the stage with, with the spammers that they've, they've, it's been so long. And, you know, it's a bit embarrassing, but I sometimes speak to these people for months. And uh, I think we're both a bit embarrassed by the end, you know. <laughs> I kind of want out, they want out, and it's hard for anyone to leave with dignity. So one of us has to go, and that's usually me. Yeah, that is the one thing that's always intrigued me about this project, is just how long it takes. I mean, how long is Bob sitting at his computer? Well, there's times, I mean, there's, there's, when I was writing the books, there's the, when I know it's kind of really starting to take over is when I start checking Bob's email account in the morning before I check my own. <laughs> and, uh, and then also there was a time in the first book where Bob, uh, there's a Christmas Day email and in the book, and that obviously looks fake in the book, and it wasn't. I emailed the guy on, on Christmas Day. I mean, that's it's desperate, really. <laughs> uh, but, the, but so there's a lot, yeah, it's a lot that just run and run, and um, there's no way out other than to stop emailing them. It's allowed you to bring in some recurring themes. I think we, we saw in the, the introductory reading with the Nazis got a mention. Uh, Murder, she wrote, gets a mention quite a lot. Yeah. What, what is it about these particular things that not she's sure. bringing up again and again? <laughs> sure. There's a few staples. It's the bird from Murder, she wrote. Nazis, just in general. Mussolini um, and Wogan. And I mean, if you could get them in a room together, <laughs> the atmosphere would be fantastic. But the, uh, yes, but yeah, certainly. In fact, they've, a couple of them have made it clean into the TV as well. <laughs> Trevor McDonald gets a pretty hard time. Trevor McDonald gets a terrible time in the new book. And I think he deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's the, what's the plan for Bob long term? You've got the TV coming up. What, where do you plan to go with it? More emails, or is, have you exhausted that format? Definitely exhausted emails. Um, yeah, TV for now, and, and see what happens, really. But hopefully the TV will last, have a wee bit of a life, and uh, I'm sure I'll do another book as well. But Okay, I'm just looking around for hands. Any, any areas I've not covered here? Not him. Uh. <laughs> ah, lady at the back there. <laughs> Pop wood, no chance. You're next, you're next. <laughs> oh, apologies. Thank you. Um, I'm just wondering, right at the very start, we, how, can you tell us a bit about how you got the idea um, and, uh, um, you know, how you got the idea to start and make it a book in the first place and where you thought it would go and did you think it would go the way it has and how you feel if, if you didn't think it, you, it would go the way it has, how do you feel about the way it has gone? Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I got it. Got it. Uh, no, well, the boot, the, the, the spam stuff started because I, uh, yeah, I got a piece of spam and it was, it was entitled Delete This at Your Peril. And I thought that was quite funny and kind of bombastic. And I read the email and, and it kind of developed from there. But there was, I was doing freelance journalism at the time for a lot of the men's mags. And I thought it'd be an article, a kind of funny article. Um, but it just got longer and longer and longer. And it was clearly not going to 
fit in a, in a, in a magazine. So, but I started to do a few more, and um, it was a very for the growth of the character was very organic. In that I kind of I started off using Bob Servant because I liked signing off the email "Your Servant Bob Servant," and that was it. And then I thought, well, make him a bit older so he could be a bit confused by the internet and not readily recognise spam. He needs to have kind of cash, so he made this money in the cheeseburger wars, and he's got a bit of time in his hands, so he's retired. And that was it, really. So, and that was really reacting to the spammers' questions. So Bob, as the character, was kind of co-authored by the spammers, really, because they kept probing me for more information. But no, I certainly didn't think it, it would kind of develop this far. But uh, it's been, yeah, it's, it's, I think the character's kind of taken over to a degree, which is quite enjoyable. Gentleman at the front here has got a question. I apologize for not coming sooner. I was going to say, before you said Burger Wars, last time I was in Dundee, the most of the hill time was knocked down. Is that going to make the next Burger War more interesting, more more exciting? Yeah, that could be. That could be the ground zero of the Burger Wars, I think. <laughs> the, 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 and and it's the Eagle. Stewpots, no, Stewpots is actually Doc Ferries. I don't know if you know Brody Ferry at all. Yeah, Doc Ferries is, uh, is Stewpots. Gentlemen, over there. Hi. Um, I just... Do you think there's parallels in, in the kind of sensibility with another Scottish journalist, actually, which is the, you know, the Henry Root books? Does that have any influence on you? It's, it's funny. It doesn't actually. In the, I didn't know about the Henry Root emails and, and letters until I, I was halfway through deleting so your pair on the author and the editor, the first publisher, mentioned them, and um, I went away and bought them. And it, 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 people, the Henry Root letters was in the 80s, wasn't it? And it was he wrote to Thatcher and various politicians and, and right-wing politicians and keep it up bring back hanging, always gave them a pound. And I gave them a pound note, and the funny ones were the ones that kept the pound, but brought back to him. But I, uh, I went away and read them. And it, yeah, it's, it's similarities, but I mean, you know, it's, it's hoax letters and hoax emails. He, Willie Donaldson, who wrote the Henry Root letters, actually copied that from the Laszlo letters. It's the fly pass from the tattoo. It's not connected with the event. But, but the, the Laszlo letters in America, is where Willie Donaldson copied the Henry Root letters from. So, I mean, these things all come round, but yeah. But no, there wasn't actually. I think Flashman, I'd say, would be a, an influence. Uh, and McGonagall as well, I think, part, to a degree. But. I think there was a question just at, at the back there, and then that gentleman there. Yeah. Has fame changed Bob Servant? How is celebrity? <laughs> affected him in Stewpot's bar? I think Bob was enormously self-important before he started uh, writing the book, so it's been much the same. He's just maintained it, and any recognition he gets now he thinks is long-deserved, and uh, probably still not quite enough. And there was a question just in, in front there, just here. Hi there. Um, I know Brotty Ferry by association, and um, I learned quite quickly it was a grave mistake to accuse anybody from Brotty Ferry of coming from Dundee. Yeah. So I just wondered if it's been a slow burn for the kind of burgers of Brotty Ferry to, to fall in love with Bob. Were there any kind of initial mutterings about lowering of house prices or <laughs> yeah. anything yeah. like that, perhaps? Yeah. Have they grown to love Bob rather yeah. than it being immediate kind of enamoring? All, all those mutterings largely from the parents, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> No, they, uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, it's kind of, uh, but a lot of people, people in Brighton Ferry, I mean, there's a lot of people in Brighton Ferry who, who thought Bob was real for a long time. <laughs> and when they found out he wasn't, and not only that, they were saying, no, I know, I know Bob Seven. <laughs> you know? 
And the people, and a couple of people said that to me, said, Bob, because I knew him. They were, I knew him from you. He used to drink in the, uh, you know? And I think he's a kind of generic character that is quite common in, in Brighty Ferry bars. But the, yeah, the, between Brighty Ferry and Dundee is kind of, the books are very centered in Dundee, but the TV is a kind of, it's more of a small town comedy, so it really is centered in, in Brighty Ferry. But, um, but, you know, for financial reasons, the exteriors are, are in Brighty Ferry, a lot of the interior stuff shot in Glasgow. And, that's going to cause mass confusion. <laughs> For example, when you're talking about the pubs in Brighty Ferry, there's bit, when he goes to Stuart's Bar, they walk into the Fisherman's Bar in Brighty Ferry, down the street and in, and then we cut to a bar in Renfrew in Glasgow, <laughs> which is just going to have people on the edge of their seats in Brighty Ferry just <laughs> absolutely bewildered, thinking that Fisherman's has had this big makeover and doubled in size. But, uh, don't spoil it. Don't spoil don't it, yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a good point to, uh, you, for you to introduce the Bring them the up, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is that all the, any more questions? Or? Well, I'll be doing the, the readings, uh, the signings after, but I'm going to introduce now people far more suited to the stage than me, and we've got um, three, well, let's really leave, but we've got um, three brilliant actors. We've got Johnny Watson, who I'm sure you all know from various uh, jobs and only excuse and so on, and he plays Frank in, in the Bob Servant Independent. It's okay, you can come. It's good. Yeah, no, no problem. And... Uh, Andy Clark, who's currently touring with the National Theatre, so this is very much a step up for him to be doing Bob Servant. <laughs> and uh, Kirsten McLean, who's in the forthcoming Bob Servant, is also in Limmy's show and various other things. So they're going to come up and bring to life three of the exchanges. I'll pop up and introduce each one quickly in turn. On you go. On you go. That's, uh, the... Thanks very much. No, that's fine. I mean, this, this lot are really just filling in a gap. It's been... uh, <laughs> So I'll introduce each other. First one is the first book from Why Me, which is called Why Me, and it's uh, an email that Bob got from a very sad woman in a refugee camp. So uh, we'll vacate the stage, and I hope you enjoy these three. Please welcome them up. Thank you. You want me to go up? <clears throat> from Rose. To Bob Servant. Subject, why me? Hello, dear. My name is Rose. I am 24 years old and I'm residing in the refugee camp. My late father was the professional, the personal advisor to head of state before rebels attacked our house and killed my parents in cold blood. When my father was alive, he deposited money and used my name as the next of kin. The amount in question is $9,300,000 US dollars. The bank requests I have a foreign partner and I know that you would be a proper person for this. I need only your information. Please save from this terrible camp. Yours in love, Rose. From Bob Servant to Rose. Subject, why you indeed, my friend. Why you, indeed. Good morning, Rosemary, and cheers for the wee note. I hope you're having a lovely time at your summer camp. And I'm staying up too late with the other girls talking about boys. Your email got me thinking. I recently published a book of email exchanges with people much like yourself, 
where we had a wee bit of a mess about and so forth, but no one got hurt. And if you have the time, I wondered if you'd be interested in taking part in a sequel. Your servant, Bob's servant. Good day, Mr. Bob. I rejoice from reading your mail. We can now have this money from the bank and have a new life together. You are a good man, Bob. And now, please send the details below. It is so hard here in the refugee camp, Bob. The people have nothing. Rose, it is a true hell for us, Bob. Rose, great to hear from you again so quickly. Um, I'm sorry you're not enjoying yourself at the camp, but at least you seem to have a computer and rapid <laughs> internet access. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity to give you all my information. I try regularly to give women my information, often on the bus. <laughs> and they always pretend they're not interested, but here's you actually asking for it. Having said that, I'm going to say thanks, but no thanks, because I'm worried that if I became a multi-millionaire, then I'll alienate my hardcore fans, like what happened with Bruce Springsteen and Annika Rice. Uh, <laughs> however, I have now firmly decided to crack on with this new book and would love you to be involved. Well, Bob, yes, I have a computer, but it is very old and I hide it from the others at the camp so it is not stolen. Bob, send your information below, huh? It is due now. I do not know what you mean about this book. Hiya, Rose. No problem. Let me make it even clearer. I am writing a book that is a collection of my exchanges with internet cowboys like your good self. <laughs> Now, what happens is I have a wee chat with you and then we shake hands and then we go our separate ways. But wouldn't get, you wouldn't get any money from me, but you'd see your name in print. And it would be a funny story to tell your pals doing the disco. <laughs> your pal Bob, or P.S. I attach a photo of the Dundee Watterson's bestseller chart from Christmas. As you'll see, I'm at number one and number four. That's the kind of form you used to get for the Beatles, for fuck's sake, Rose. Of course I will not be part of that. Why would I do this? I am in a refugee camp, not a book. Well, Rose, it's possible you could be in both. <laughs> Thank you. Next up is Bob the Oil Man. Um, Bob gets an email from uh, Africa offering an opportunity in the oil business and uh, he employs the, the Dundee Courier, which is a common theme. So it's a definitely genuine article from the Dundee Courier to finish this off. So uh, please welcome Andy Clark. From Alan Thompson to Bob Servant. Subject, National Oil and Investment. I have come to you because you are a man to be trusted. 
and who understands business. Tell no one about this opportunity. I am American man, currently in Togo, to drill and sell the best oil. Due to overproduction, we can send you thousands of oil, and you can pay only the shipment. You can sell one barrel of oil for $175. Shipment is $1 a barrel, so you can see the profit. Alan Thompson, Director, National Oil, Royal Plaza, Togo. From Bob Servant to Alan Thompson. Subject, oil me up. Alan, the warmest greetings imaginable from Brotty Ferry, Dundee. Your email is one of the most exciting business opportunities that I have received by email from Western Africa this morning. And I can't offer much higher praise than that. I would love to be in the oil game, Alan. Being for Dundee, we have to deal with the Aberdeen oil mob up the road, and I tell you, it's hard work. I don't mind people being rich. God knows, I'm no short of a penny. But I like it when they wear their wealth with, with quiet dignity. Like Her Majesty the Queen. And Jimmy Savile. The Aberdeen mob are very much novel reach. They rub their oil money in your face. Not in a saucy way, mind, but with their nice jumpers, their matching shoes, their high-end Ford Sierras. This wee back door into the oil business could be a chance, not just for me, but for Dundee as a city to bounce back. It's certainly exciting. I used to love that big American TV show about the family with all the oil money. Aye, the main guy wore a special hat and used to make long, inspirational speeches. Did you see it? It was called The Cosby Show. <laughs> Your servant, Bob Servant. Dear Bob Servant, congratulations. You are accepted as a new customer. Now, fill this form with your full personal information. Alan Thompson, Director, National Oil. Alan, that is great news. I gratefully accept your job and would like to thank you for all your work and wish you the best of luck for the future, as I will tell the lads at your retirement dinner. If I can be half the man you were, then I'll be happy. P.S. Dare I say, garden gnomes? Bob Servant. <laughs> Director, National Oil. Bob, that is my job. You do not have a title as you are only a customer. What is the garden gnomes? Alan Thompson, Director, National Oil. Alan, thanks again. To follow in your footsteps at National Oil is a dream come true. Can I just check what stories I can tell at your retirement dinner? Uh, are you bringing the missus? Or can I be a bit risky? 
a little birdie told me about the sales conference in Tenerife. There are whispers about you, a trolley dolly from Togo Airlines, a bath full of cava, and a couple of garden gnomes. <laughs> Bob Servant, Director, National Oil. Bob, stop. That is my job, and it is not for you. Why would I retire when there is so much money to be made? I have not been to Tenerife, and I don't know anything about this story, which seems bad. Send the form. Okay, Alan, relax. Obviously crossed wires on the retirement and the norms. But to accuse me of not knowing business is quite frankly laughable. In the late 1970s, I had the longest window cleaning round in Western Europe. In the 1980s, I had a collection of cheeseburger vans that you could see from outer space. For Christ's sake, give me some respect. I am sorry, Bob. You must be a famous businessman in the country if you have done all this. What matters is that you fill in the form. Okay, Aldo, I've started sorting things out this end. Dundee is right on the River Tay, so it shouldn't be a problem reversing in your oil tanker. <laughs> I have a double garage with a much-admired cantilever roof, so 50,000 barrels of oil should fit no bother at all. Can you please give me the name of the ship and the name of the captain. I will fill in the form shortly. I'm just waiting for the right pencil to make itself known. Thanks, Bob. Bob, we will deliver 50,000 barrels okay. Use any pencil or pen you have to hand. It does not matter. Or best, type it direct on the computer. The captain's name is Captain Newman, and the ship is called Edmund. Morning, Alan. I've done a bit of asking about, and Captain Newman sounds absolutely top drawer. Frank, my right-hand man, said he saw him in either Troller Men or Cash in the Attic. But either way, he came across very well. He would like to come, I would like him to come and stay with me in Bob's Palace. Can I ask, please? What are his main hobbies? And is he okay to chat to people? I know from bitter experience how difficult captains can be. In 1983, he bumped into Dundee United's league-winning captain, Paul Hegarty, in Safeways. He was standing in the tinned fish aisle, and quick as a flash, I said, Afternoon, skipper. Buying some kippers? It was a decent joke. It's not the best I've ever told. Not even the best I've ever told in the tin fish oil. But the way he looked at me, Alan, my God, I felt like my balls had turned into ice cubes. Captain Newman likes all kinds of jokes, and he likes to smoke and drink. He says this is a great honor to stay with you at Bob's Palace. Do you have the form? A few last questions on Captain Newman. 
What is his favourite drink? Is he a fan of the women? And by the way, in Dundee, we call them skirt, out of respect. How long has he been at sea? And would it be fair to describe him as a mad dog? Bob. Answers below, but that is it now. You must send the payment for the oil shipment. His favorite drink, rum. Is he a fan of the women or skirt? Yes, if good. How long has he been at sea? 15 years. To describe him as a mad dog, okay, yes, fine. Send the money. Alan, big. Big problems, my end. <laughs> Our local rag, the Dundee Courier, got hold of the story and they've absolutely gone to town on me. When the Dundee Skirt Protection League get in your tail, then it's time to run for the hills. Sorry, Alan, but it's all off. Knowing that I'll never see Captain Newman guide the SS Edmund down the Tay, Makes me feel like Colin Montgomery has torn out my heart and stuck it in his deep freeze. Good luck in the oil game. Your servant, Bob Servant. The Dundee Courier, 30th of January 2011. Dundee rejects mad dog ship captain. <laughs> Dundee closed ranks today against an oil tanker captained by a man described by his company representative as a mad dog. As news, as news spread of the character of Captain Newman of the SS Edmund, panic spread through the city's exotic streets. He's a mad dog, shrugged National Oil Scottish representative Bob Servant. That's what they call him. Look, the guy's been at sea for 15 years and he's seen the lot. Pirates, tidal waves, fife. Who wouldn't they lose their mind? But yes, yes, he's a loose cannon, I can't deny that. We deal in honesty at National Oil. First and foremost, he loves skirt. Continued servant, unprompted. He's skirt mad, and he always has been. So when I say lock up your daughters when Captain Newman is about, I really do mean lock up your, copter, your daughters when Captain Newman is about. He also loves a drink, added servant, still unprompted. And he smokes like a chimney. So good luck to anyone trying to enforce the smoking ban when the skipper's about, because he'll rip your head off and throw away the key. <laughs> Servants' words were greeted with dismay. A spokeswoman for the Dundee Skirt Protection League said they would be protesting outside Servants' humble Brotty Ferry home this weekend if the deal wasn't cancelled. Bob, forget all these troubles and send the payment. Bob? 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 So what? The, the last exchange this evening is called Sad Times Publishing, and it's from the new book. If it's any under 12s, they might want to, you might want to get them out of the room just for the last... <laughs> Last page and a half, but other than that, it's fine. So please welcome back Kirsten McLean. Thank you.
From Mary Riley to Bob Servant. Subject, can you help? Dearly beloved, my name is Mary Riley and I write this to you through my tears of sorrow. I am a dying woman, 66 years old, who has been touched by the Lord to donate my riches through you for the good work of humanity. You know idea that problems I have had in my life. It has been terrible from the very start. Now I want to give the sum of eight million to charity through you. I am restricted by my doctor from making telephone calls because I deserve all the rest I can get. Please contact my lawyer with your full personal and banking details through the form attached. Yours in trust, Mary Riley. From Bob Servant to Mary Riley. Subject, time to throw away your hanky. Mary, have you ever thought of writing a book? Your servant, Bob Servant, managing editor, Sad Times Publishing. What do you mean by this? Have you contacted my lawyer? My friend, throw away your hanky, because I have news that will lift your chin right up into the clouds. Mary, I own a Scottish publisher called Sad Times Publishing. We deal in stories like yours, real weepies that reach into our readers' bodies, through their eyes, and play merry hell with their hearts. We've been behind all the big ones in recent years, such as Black, Blue, and Hungry Too, <laughs> the terrible story of Jimmy Cranky. <laughs> Please, Dad, not the face. The awful life of Andrew Marr. <laughs> and dumped. How I bounced back and learnt to love again by Chancellor of Exchequer George Osborne. <laughs> Mary, your story would fit very comfortably into our wee collection. Are you on board? Will you lift the biro? For Sad Times Publishing? Bob, yes, I can tell you my terrible story that will make like this others that you have. Maybe an advance payment to be helpful, my dear? What is the pay? It will boost my charity giving. Whenever I think about my life, I cry. And I cry just thinking about what I've been through. Mary, stop crying, for God's sake. You'll get me started. And when I cry, I didn't mess about. In 1982, I cried for four days after watching E.T. For the first two days, I was crying because I thought it was a documentary. And for the next two days, I was crying because someone told me that it wasn't. Mary, I'm interested in your story. And, I, and don't you worry about the money side of things. If you write a book that does no bad in Scotland, then nothing will ever be the same again. I've done a few books myself, and I'm on the brink of taking a half share in a February timeshare in Pitlochry. 
Right then. For now, can you just, can you just give me, give me the best stuff from your story. What's the, what's the very worst thing that's ever happened to you? Dear beloved Bob, I am so happy that you want to use my story to write a book that will touch people's lives. Well, I will give you just some for now, but you must know because of my money, I have been in danger for some time. In fact, several attempts to assassinate me have been made, but all of their plans keep failing them. You see, Bob, this is a story you will not believe, and it will be a success for you. Now, let us talk of a payment, and then we can enter the next level of my story. Great stuff, Mary. People, people love a good assassination story. <laughs> Just look at JFK, or, or when Sir Seville MacDonald strangled that tramp. Eh? <laughs> can, you, can you give me a bit more colour in the assassination attempt? I, I presume he had a gun. Uh, also, for the title of your book, I've, I've had a wee think, and I, I'm considering the options below. Every cloud has a lining of more cloud. <laughs> My Hell by Mary Riley. Don't shoot the Mary Riley story. And Jesus Christ has got a gun. The life and times of Mary Riley. I'll have a go at the blurb for the cover now as well. Uh, cheers, Bob. Well, uh... Bob, uh, I was shot at by a bandit who wanted my money, and the bullet hit in the shoulder, and I was in the hospital for months before back well enough to continue with the charity. It is okay, whatever you want to call the book. How about a payment of $100,000? For now, it is a book that will make much money for you, Bob. Uh, Mary, uh... <laughs> A hundred thousand dollars is a bit much. Uh, it was in the paper last week that Don French received a million for her book. But come on, that's Frenchy. Here, have you ever seen the clip of her jumping into the puddle in the Vicar of Dibley? Well, I tell you, I showed it to my postman once, and I promise you, he soiled himself. Anyway... Uh, that is absolutely brilliant news that you were shot. Things, things like that really, really let the book reach out for the shelf and, and poke the customers in the balls. I have been busy at this end. Uh, have a look at the attached. Uh, it's the book's blurb followed by the opening chapter. I've, I've added a wee bit of colour at my end, but I think it's... It's largely accurate. Both barrels. The life and times of Mary Riley. Mary Riley has seen so much life she should be 500 years old. Raised by wolves in the mountains. <laughs> Riley grew up communicating only in whistles. At the tender age of 43, she was rescued by Buffalo Bill who cuffed her in the ear, kicked her in the legs, and told her to get back to school. After becoming head girl, Mary was walking along the road one day when she was kidnapped by the rebels and slung into a prison on an island. After escaping from the island by pretending to be a penguin, 
Mary was walking along the road, a different road as to before, when a bandit jumped out of a cave and started taking pot shots at her. One bullet hit her shoulder and the other scraped her lovely head. Now, in both battles, Mary Riley tells her story for the first time. You'll be shocked and confused and happy and sad and excited. You'll shake your head and you'll say, oh, come on now, no, but honestly, this stuff is straight up and out of the horse's mouth. Can you handle both barrels? Chapter one, bang, bang. More than anything, I can remember his eyes. They were like big pieces of coal. Are you Mary Riley? Asked the bandit. I had never told a lie in my life. I was brought up by some of the most honest wolves you could ever meet. Yes, I told them. His eyes were like big saucers of oil. You'll die, Mary Riley, he said. His voice was like a drum being played by an elephant. <laughs> he fired the gun. It sounded like all the babies in the world crying. And this is a metaphor because it was the moment that I lost my innocence. The bullet hit my shoulder. Ah, you fucking bastard, I shouted. <laughs> you shot me in the fucking shoulder, you fucking prick. What's fucking wrong with you, you total fucking knob jockey? You'll die, Mary Riley, he said again. His eyes, his eyes were like pigeons. Everything, everything went black. When I awoke, it was just me and the wolves. Oh dear, Mary, said the main wolf. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Thank you very much. I think we can safely say that this will be the only book festival event that ends with the word knob jockey. So <laughs> it's been an absolute delight. The performances were great. All that remains to say is there'll be a book signing next door. Everybody involved will be next door. So please go along and just thank you all for coming. More podcasts, videos and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.